When God stepped into the world on the cross, He showed us His heart, the heart of love. This message is entitled, Amazing Grace. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Today I want to take just a few moments and share with you a Good Friday message. And I've titled my message today, Amazing Love, Amazing Love. And I'll point that out as we get to the end of the message, why I think that's such an incredible and an important title for us to look at together. During Good Friday, we celebrate the cross. You'll see behind me the cross that is represented by the purple shawl there, representing the day of passion of Jesus giving his life for us. And we celebrate the reality that Jesus went to that cross, as we'll talk about dying for our sins. The focus today is on the cross. It's on a cross that is containing Jesus, his body dying for the sins of mankind. On Easter Sunday, we will celebrate a cross as well, but it will be an empty cross. That's why we as Protestant believers generally don't wear crucifixes because we remembered the fact that Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He came alive. He rose from the grave. And in no way am I condemning anyone that happens to wear a crucifix. It's just a way of declaring as an empty cross that we believe that Jesus no longer is on that cross. He is the risen Savior. But it's interesting, the cross. Think about that just for a moment. The cross, what is it? Well, actually going back over 2,000 years ago, during the time of the Roman Empire, the cross was their primary means of execution. The cross was their electric chair. The cross was their gas chamber. And here we are today. We wear crosses around our neck. We buy rings with crosses on them. We exchange cards with crosses on them. And we communicate something about love through a cross that really was a symbol of punishment, a symbol of execution, a symbol of suffering. When the Romans would put someone on a cross, they hoped that people would pass by and see that person perhaps lingering sometimes even for days on a cross of crucifixion. And people would, would walk by and it was a message to the world around them from the Roman Empire, don't do what they did or you'll experience what they're experiencing. It was meant to be something very public in terms of its humiliation, in terms of its suffering, and in terms of its deterrent to people doing things that were contrary to what the Romans desired. But now today, as I mentioned a moment ago, the cross has become the primary symbol of our Christian faith. Why? Why is the cross the primary symbol of our Christian faith? There are many passages that I could have taken you to today, but there's one that's near and dear, I believe, to many of us, and it's found in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul talks quite a bit about what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a tremendous book laying out for us the whole dimension of Jesus' work, a very theological book, but nevertheless very practical. And in Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul gives us these words in verse number 8. I'm going to read it from two different translations. First, the New Living Translation. Second of all, the New International Version. The New Living Translation, Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The international version says, but God demonstrates, I like that word, demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
I want to share with you today four things that you need to understand about the cross, the symbol of our Christian faith. What is this cross all about? Why do we celebrate it? First of all, the cross is God's greatest, it represents God's greatest gift to the world. It represents the greatest gift that God could have ever given. The, the verse that we just read, the international version, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Notice the first two words of that verse, but God. But God, that but God is extremely important because it's, it's reminding us that God stepped into history, that God inserted himself into a world that had repeatedly rejected him and despised him and ignored him and disobeyed him. He stepped into the world that he had created and yet people who had consistently denied him. The cross is a symbol of God stepping into or intervening in a sinful, self-destructive world. The cross is God's greatest gift to the world. Second of all, the cross is the greatest exhibition of love the world will ever see. Think with me for, for a moment. How many songs over human history have been written about love? I, I can't even imagine millions, if not perhaps even billions? How many poems, poems have been written? How many notes have been written about what love is about? And nevertheless, in the context of all that we might as humans understand love to be, God actually gave us the greatest exhibition of love that the world will ever see. If you want a definition of love, all you need to do is look at Good Friday. You don't need all the songs about love. You don't need all the poems about love. There's one place that will reveal to you the greatest expression of the love of God that the world has ever seen. Because Paul writes here, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Romans 5, 8, and says, but God, that is God, stepped into a world that had rejected him and, and pushed him aside and denied him. But God nevertheless stepped into that world and he demonstrates his own love for us in this. See, when God stepped into the world, we should have certainly been able to anticipate not love, but perhaps judgment. That when God steps into the world, perhaps we should have anticipated not the love of God, perhaps the, the anger of God, because the world was a world haunted by demonic presence and disease and sin. But nevertheless, God stepped into the world, and he didn't demonstrate hatred toward us. He demonstrated love toward us. At the cross, God showed us his heart, that heart of love, and he showed it to us in a very personal way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, his own love, very personal. And I love the way Paul gives it to us here. He demonstrates not just a matter of a demonstration, a one-time event, but it's something that he had in history past and has in history present and will have in the days to come. It is a love that didn't just happen in a moment. It was a continuous and is a continuous love. He demonstrates his love for us in this. It was very specific, a very specific action that God took on our behalf. And that obviously that action was the fact that he gave his only begotten son to die for our sins. Thirdly, the cross is the most undeserving gift ever given. We often give gifts to people, but generally speaking, when you give a gift, it's because there's a reason for it, and sometimes there's an expectation that goes along with it. 
You don't need to raise your hand on this question, but how many of you give a gift at Christmas hoping you're getting one back, okay, <laughs> right? And sometimes you give a really good gift because you hope it'll make them guilty enough to give you something really good back, right? And we as human beings, we, we know how to give gifts, but generally it's not an unconditional kind of thing. It, there's usually some conditions associated with it, but God unconditionally gave to people who were undeserving, totally undeserving. In fact, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love, very personal to us in this, while we were still not righteous, but while we were still what? sinners Christ died for us while we were still sinners we had not yet even taken a step toward God we had not even opened our lives to him but nevertheless he comes even to those who are rebels against his cause and disobedient to his law and God comes and says I know I know who you are and I know how you live but I also want you to know how much I love you there's something very interesting about Jesus, and I don't have time really to develop the thought for us this afternoon, but if you study the ministry of Jesus, you'll find something very interesting. You'll find out that religious people were very uncomfortable around Jesus, those who were self-righteous and felt like they were better than everyone else. Jesus spent his time rebuking people like that. They were called the scribes and the Pharisees, hyper-religious folks who were very self-righteous. But you'll also find something on the opposite side of that continuum. Those who were sinners seemed to just find it easy to approach Jesus. It wasn't as though Jesus was accepting of their sin, but very much like the woman caught in the act of adultery and she was dragged in by the religious leaders. And you remember the story of how they threw her at Jesus' feet, demanding that he stone her as the law required. And Jesus began to point out the sins of those who had brought her in accusation and then spoke to this precious lady who was in the midst of her own shame and guilt and said, where are your accusers? And she looked around. There were no more accusers. And Jesus said something, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. If you need a friend and you're a sinner, Jesus is the best friend you can ever have. Okay. Jesus doesn't come to keep us in our sin. Jesus comes to redeem us from our sin. But if you're a sinner today and you're broken and we all, like sheep, have gone astray, we are all sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. Let me tell you who I am this morning, and you can probably identify with this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. How about you? Amen? That's who I am, okay? You want my identity today? I'm not some righteous guy that somehow has impressed God. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I came to Jesus just like all of us come to Jesus, acknowledging the fact that we're sinners, and Jesus is the friend of sinners. While we were still sinners, before we did anything right, before we honored God in any way, while we were still sinners, undeserving of the slightest bit of kindness or grace or mercy from God. The Bible says that Christ died for us. The sinless, perfect Son of God. Listen closely. The sinless, perfect Son of God was substituted on the cross for you and me. Something that we have to understand and grasp. The sinless, the one who had never committed one sin in thought, word, deed, action, attitude, nothing evil in him at all. He goes to that cross that you and I 
deserved to be on. And he said, I will take your place there. And that was a demonstration, an exhibition of the deepest, most intimate, and most unconditional love that could ever be experienced by mankind. The perfect Lamb of God was slain so that His blood could be placed over our lives so that we would escape the judgment of death and hell. It points us back to the Passover, does it not? The children of Israel had been in Egypt for, as slaves for over 400 years. And they cried out for deliverance and they were going through awful experiences of bondage and the cruelty of the slave masters there. And they're crying out and God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses and sends Moses to Pharaoh and, and he begins to speak these curses over Egypt. But, Moses, but uh, Pharaoh resists letting the people of God go until there's that last moment and God says, I'm going to send a death angel over Egypt. But to my people, I'm giving them one set of instructions. Find a lamb, bring it into the household, and take care of it. And then on that particular day assigned to for the Passover, you're to slay that lamb in that family environment and to take the blood of the lamb and paint it over the doorpost of your house. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And there in that moment... In that evening when death was reigning in all of Egypt, the people of God who had painted their doorposts with the blood of the Lamb were freed and ultimately find their way out of Egypt because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus came as the perfect Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world to bring cleansing for all of our sins. And on that cross, every drop of His blood that hit that ground was, was a declaration against sin that has held us bonded. It screams out and says, free, 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 free. Every drop of blood set a captive free, set us free for all eternity. The blood of the lamb slain. There's a fourth thing that I want to mention about the cross today. The cross finally is a call for every one of us. It's a call to give Jesus our absolute allegiance. What should be our response to this reality, this, this symbol, this experience of Jesus on the cross? What should we do with it? God demonstrating his love for us in this incredible manner. What should we do? We can't earn that salvation. It's given to us as a free gift from God by His mercy and by His grace. But having received that precious gift of salvation, what should we do with it? It calls us to do something with our lives. And it calls us to give absolute allegiance to the one who gave His life for you and for me. Our response should clearly be, to first of all invite Jesus into our life, to turn our lives over to Him. And that's why the Bible says that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, He needs to become your Lord and your Master. What does that mean? It means that we turn the control of our lives over to Him. It's no longer about what we want in life. It's about what He wants and what He desires for you and me. And that will is always a good will. It's always a good plan, but we have to submit to it. We have to say, God, I'm no longer going to live for me. Now I'm going to live for you. And could I ask you today, in light of all that Jesus has done for you and for me, have you given Him the allegiance of your life? Is He your Lord? Is He your Master? Have you turned your life 
over to him? Have you dedicated your purposes, the purposes of your life to him? In the mid-1700s, there was a, a set of brothers, John and Charles Wesley. John and Charles Wesley had tried to serve God to the best of their ability, but they didn't understand salvation by grace. They, they understood salvation by works. They thought that they had to do things right and somehow earn the salvation of God until there was a moment in Charles Wesley's life before it preceded uh, the moment in John Wesley's life. And Charles Wesley, on his sick bed one day, began to read the Scriptures, and he understood, oh, salvation, I don't have to do anything to receive salvation. Jesus did everything for me. And there that day, out of his works mindset, it's transitioned to a faith mindset, and Charles Wesley comes to faith in Jesus Christ and just a couple of months later, after having that experience, he picks up a pen and he writes a hymn that many of you will be familiar with. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, our great Redeemer's praise. Hark the herald angels sing. These are hymns that came from the pen of Charles Wesley. But shortly after realizing what Jesus did for him on the cross, and that he didn't have to do it, Jesus did it for him, Charles Wesley writes these words, and let me read them for you. I'm going to read you the verses of this very powerful hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. I love this next verse. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and what did he do? Followed thee. If you're battling with a wonder of God's love today. Look at this last verse with me as we're wrapping up. No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God should die for me. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray together today? Father, we're so very grateful for the opportunity that we have on this Good Friday to just reflect upon the cross. Or it's not just a, a wooden structure, it's a symbol of our faith. It's a representation of the fact that you loved us so much that you went to that cross and you paid the price. Amazing love. How can it be that you, Lord, our God should die for each one of us, that those drops of blood are the drops of our freedom and our forgiveness. 
And I pray that in this moment that each one of us would come closer to you, that we would give you our full allegiance, that we would follow you like we've never followed you before. May this year be a year of turnaround in our lives, serving you like we have never served you in times past, for your glory and for your honor. For that we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.